It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Roy Smith once said, He who has not Christmas in his heart will never find it under a tree. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Seeker Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the Seeker Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Study Questions tool, an easy-to-follow single page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible Study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, my friend, what are we talking about? I bet that's an easy one to figure out. Well, Rick, our question is, what is the true spirit of Christmas? And our theme text is found in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. All right, so what is the true spirit of Christmas? When we talk about the spirit of something, what we're trying to describe is what something, uh, what that something is intended to look like or to result in. Let's take the spirit of the law, for instance. Whatever a law whatever that law might be interpreted as meaning or however it might be applied needs to be checked against what the law was actually intended to allow. It's far too easy to have a personal agenda, take the words of that law and rationalize them into fitting what we want them to mean. This is an unfortunate result of selfish thinking. And the same is true with Christmas. The lights, the movies, the decorations, the gifts, the fanfare, and the food all tend to take away from the simplicity of the true spirit of Christmas. So coming up in today's podcast, many people say that Christmas is magical. Uh, but is it spiritual? In our second segment, we'll look at the true spirit of Christmas and how it can influence our families, and not just our immediate families, but the family of humanity. Joy, peace, and praise are often spoken of when we talk about the meaning of Christmas. Segments 3, 4, and 5 examine each of these things and how profound and life-changing they can be. And they really can be life-changing if we let them. But first, it all starts with giving. What are the gifts? What do they mean? And how can we appreciate them? So, Rick... What is the true intention of the Christmas holiday, and how do we pay our highest respect to it? Well, Jonathan, today we wanted to talk about Christmas from a really positive perspective and look at it like you're asking, paying our highest respect to it. So we brought in some help. We brought in our good friend and co-worker, co-volunteer at CQ, Julie. Good day, Julie. How are you? Hi, Rick and Jonathan. I'm doing great, and Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas Thank to you. you. So what brings you here? 
Well, <laughs> you know, I saw that this was going to be our topic, and I need to be honest. Every year when the stores start selling Christmas decorations the day after Halloween, <laughs> I feel like Christmas might be better if it came every four years, you know, like the Olympics. <laughs> okay. You know, it's just it's hard to get excited over something that gets trivialized and watered down and lasts like three months of every year. So I get a little hashtag bah humbug. Okay, so we've got a bah humbugger in our midst, but your bah humbugging, if that's a word, um, it, it's really focused on the commercialization aspect, is what it sounds like. Yeah, it really becomes overwhelming. So, okay, you know, we could have Christmas every leap year then or something, but let's, for, for our podcast here today, let's talk about the true spirit of what the true meaning of the true uh, experience of Christmas is. So, Julie, we're going to take your bah humbug and put it on the shelf, and we'll refer back to it as we go. So thank you for that really positive introduction. <laughs> 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 so let, let's get right into it. So the, the true spirit of Christmas is really expressed in giving. Based in love, giving is at the core of Christmas. So this spirit of Christmas giving is, an, is ancient, and it was established thousands of years before the nativity scene. And a lot of us don't, I don't think we realize that. It's expressed in countless Old Testament prophecies of the coming of Messiah. As a matter of fact, this spirit of giving was shown to be in place in the plan of God before the foundation of the world. It was expressed in the first events of human history and in the last book of the Bible. This one prophecy that we're going to take a look at now gives us a sense of the magnitude of of this spirit of giving. So Jonathan, let's start with Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And folks, as Jonathan goes through this, let's think about this in terms of sheer, unadulterated, pure giving. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with justice and with judgment, from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Wow, Rick. Talking about giving. Described in this beautiful prophecy, it shows God's part of giving his only begotten son. To the world, but then it also shows Jesus' part of Himself, and we remember in Isaiah six eight, "Here I am, send me." Right, right. So you know, this whole idea of giving is something that is really powerful and something we need to begin to look at and say, okay, the spirit of Christmas giving, the intention of Christmas giving, is not wrapped up in a present. It's not wrapped up in a package. It is a gift that came from heaven. That was prophesied long ago. So 
So when we look at this spirit of giving and, and, and putting the scripture to music really, really helps to put this all in perspective. The giving we're talking about is from God, from Jesus to us. This gift was given because the very nature of God is to love and to give. Jonathan, let's look at our theme scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And there's a scripture that is a powerful scripture, the most often quoted scripture probably in all of the Bible, and it tells of the plan of God, the giving of eternal life because God so loved the world. That's a gift. Eternal life is a gift from God. And that's something that we want to be aware of and focus on as we look at our giving at this Christmas season and not like the giving that we're focused on through all of the other things that happen. So our expressions of giving can be built directly upon the foundation of what we have been given. Jonathan, let's go to Matthew 10, verses 5 through 8. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preaching, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. Freely you received, freely give. And that's the core of giving from the mouth of Jesus, his teaching. Freely you've received. That's the spirit in which we should be giving. Okay, so Jonathan and Julie, we're Christians. We're living in a world that's not really Christian. It's not, it's not focused on Christian thinking. How do we embrace the giving and receiving of this season with the true Christmas spirit, the true Christmas intention? Jonathan, what do you think? Well, when we give to others, it shows them we remember, appreciate, and love them. It also says thank you and that we value them in our lives. Okay, so there's that sense of showing people their value and not giving because, oh, well, I have to get a gift for, but giving because they are legitimately valuable because that's God's perspective of us. Julie, how do we embrace this giving and receiving in this season with the true intention of what the true Christmas story is? Well, you know, I started thinking about what I need to give and what I need to receive, taking it inward. I looked inward, like mirrored. And I started looking over, of all places, the archives of the podcast episodes that CQ has done this past year. And I noticed that many of them fit into the categories of either giving or receiving. And so taking to heart all the principles expressed last year will help us embrace giving and receiving in the proper way. And we'll put a longer list in the CQ Rewind show notes for this episode. But as an example, what better gift can we give others than to preach the gospel as described in episode 1080? Or what do we give to Jesus in the episode, Jesus died for you, are you dying for him? Episode 1095. And on the receiving end, how are we receiving criticism to make us better? Episode 1102. And how do we receive the blessings of fatherhood? in episode 1078 and motherhood in 1073. What benefit do we get out of Jesus's final prayers in episode 1070? It's it's amazing, you know, that, that how many of these are giving and receiving. So each CQ episode is a gift for each listener that we pray 
brings blessings and positive change. And we can gift an episode by forwarding that audio to friends and family who we think could benefit from that particular topic. That, that's really, I never would have thought of it that way, but you're right. There, there's a, there is a profound impact that attempting to express the gospel has. And it inevitably comes out as giving and receiving because that's what the entire gospel is about. And when you think about, you think about the gift that God gave, you think about him bringing the Messiah to the world. He brought the Messiah as a baby. Didn't necessarily have to do it that way, but he brought the Messiah in as this defenseless little baby, not born to a wonderfully powerful family, but born to peasants, to this young woman. And and the vulnerability and the value in that gift is priceless. That's the kind of giving we want to reflect. We want to see what God gave and what he required of those around Jesus to support him and say, if God could give something so precious to himself and make it so incredibly vulnerable and fragile, then we can certainly give of ourselves and be vulnerable and fragile as well. I think these are really good experiences to look at and say, this is what Christmas giving should be. It's not about the box or the wrapping or the sale or the the newest or the latest or the fanciest or the one with the most glitter. It's around the things that come deeply from the heart as God gave to us from his heart. So thank you both for those the, the comments and putting giving into a perspective that is valuable, far beyond stuff. So Jonathan, as we wrap up this first segment, the blessing of giving and receiving, what is it? Especially in this season, let us strive to have our giving and receiving model the very highest standard of God's unspeakable gift. Okay, we want to model that standard that was put out before us. That is something we want to focus on. That is something that needs to be looked at and said, okay, how do I do that? So look, already we can see how deep and profound and yet how simple giving with the spirit of Christmas can be. Giving and receiving is a good basis to begin talking about true Christian spirit. What's next? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. So often our conversations about, Christ, uh, about Christmas circle around gifts and family. Now that we've begun to see the power of giving and receiving blossom, we should also consider looking at the deep staying power of the family units. The family represents a potent source of encouragement and love. And so in this segment, it's about the family. Go ahead, Julie. Well, the true spirit of Christmas is expressed in family, and family is one of the objects of Christmas giving. It really, it, it truly is. And, you know, of course, when we do our 
gift buying and the shopping and the all of that. We think, well, what do you want for Christmas and what do you want for Christmas? And that's all that's all fine and wonderful. And as Julie suggests, maybe do that every four years. <laughs> but, but when we look at the giving in relation to family with the true intention of Christmas, when I always say the true intention, we're talking about the story of Jesus' birth. You know, God put this story, this account in Scripture with great detail for a reason. He put it there so we could understand the power of his gift and the power of who he gave it to. And that we will begin to unfold in this segment. So when we think of the birth of Jesus, we think of that small family unit, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, journeying to Bethlehem. How often do we really consider the loyalty of Joseph and Mary to God and to each other. So, Jonathan, let's go to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to park ourselves in Luke 2 at the beginning of each segment now for the rest of the program, um, and just follow the story and draw our lessons from this story and then expand it. So Luke chapter 2, now verses 1 through 7. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census must be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register also along with Mary, who was as engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, of course, this is a story that we're all very, very familiar with and, and we see and, and we appreciate. But let, let's look a little bit deep, more deeply into the story. This family was called upon to deal with unexpected, supernatural events to bring Messiah into the world. Unexpected, supernatural events. They were called upon because of their faith and loyalty to God and to each other. And in other Christmas podcasts, we discuss their relationship in much, much more detail. They were used of God to provide the Messiah a nurturing environment in which to grow up. Think about that. You're providing the Messiah, the Savior of the world, a nurturing environment to grow up from, from infancy to, to manhood. Well, you know, what's interesting is in rereading this, they weren't this little tiny family nucleus wasn't given like everything they needed. Well, I mean, they were given everything they needed, but it wasn't easy. You know, here she's pregnant and they are trudging by foot and probably donkey to a completely different city just to take a census. You know, all the times that's when the census was. This wasn't easy for them. You know, it, it was it was it was difficult. But you know, this little family, sometimes we don't have families, you know, we don't all have biological families. And, but that doesn't mean we can't create friends and distant relatives and create family with those that we know. But I was just wondering if Rick and Jonathan, you had any special family traditions around Christmas when you were growing up or is something you do now? Because tradition is really important to humans, I think, you know, to have some touchstone each year. Well, I'll, do you want me to start off, Rick? Sure, sure yeah. go ahead. What do you got? All right. Well, we have a Christmas tradition, which we didn't do this year uh, for the first time in many years. It's because uh, my son and his his wife, uh, they moved away uh, to Utah uh, in August. And uh, we, we just came back today from visiting them because they wouldn't have had the ability to see us over the holidays. So we 
took the time for that. But what we usually do in our tradition is uh, we have a Christmas gathering slash dinner at our home for the brethren and family. And everyone uh, would bring an ornament wrapped in a gift. And attached to that gift were a scripture or two uh, to give a clue of what was in the box. And we numbered the gifts as each people came in after dinner. We drew numbers. And when it was their turn, they read the clues and they tried to guess what was in the box. And if they couldn't, they got some help from everybody else. And it, it's a lot of fun. And so there was a lot of laughter and uh, a lot of creativity. And uh, so the fellowship was really sweet. So we get to getting to know the brotherhood on a on a real personal level. We We love doing it. That's awesome. So if you have like, if there's a, like a, what would you do? Like if there's a rainbow in the box, there'd be scriptures about yes. Genesis. Yeah. Oh, and you've got to guess what it is. That's really exactly. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, we were to several of those in, in many years. And uh, it was a, a really, really cool time. You know, for us, a family tradition that we, we don't do anymore because our kids are grown now and have their own families on Christmas Eve. But on Christmas Eve, my sister Joy and her husband Ben would always come out for Christmas, and they live in Montana. And so they would bring their daughter, Jamie, to our home. And with my our three kids, we'd have what our kids nicknamed the Cry Fest. Now, here is Christmas Eve. You're saying, what? Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially when they were teenagers, we would just sit around by candlelight and just each, everybody would take a turn, and, it, and everybody took a turn. Uh, and talked about their past year. And when they had struggles, they talk about them. And inevitably, people would start crying because it was a time to be really honest and, and very, very close. And so our, our kids, especially our two daughters, look back on that with a lot of affection, the cry fest, and they'd smile. And because it was part of the growing up process, again, family is just such an important thing. So what we want to do is we want to, like you said, Julie, sometimes you may not have a family, and family doesn't have to be your immediate family. Family is not just about those that we're physically related to or just fellow Christians. It's about others, the people we might work with, those who are our neighbors, those who might be merely know of, those who are maybe literally passing on the street. They can become family. We have a story, a really touching story. It's called The Old Shoemaker, and we're going to give this in two parts. This is from the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, The Old Shoemaker, Part 1. Long ago, there lived an old shoemaker named Martin. Martin lived alone in his humble shop, but his work was of the finest quality, and he was always honest with his customers. He tried to live the way the Savior taught, one night, as he was sleeping, he heard a voice. Martin, Martin, look tomorrow on the street, for I am coming. Martin awoke unsure if he had been dreaming. That morning, he set to work as usual, but could not help but look steadfastly out the window onto the street, just in case his beloved Savior appeared. As he was watching, Martin noticed an old soldier out in the freezing cold, shoveling snow. Martin invited him into his shop and gave him something warm to drink. Later in the day, Martin noticed a young mother cradling a small child in her arms. She had no coat. Martin insisted she come in and warm herself by the fire. He learned that the day before, she had sold her shawl to buy food. After she had eaten, the old cobbler gave her some coins, 
and gave her his own coat. In the evening, an old woman selling some apples appeared. A hungry little boy came along and tried to steal an apple, but the woman grabbed him and threatened to take him to the police. Martin rushed out into the street and begged her to let the boy go. Martin paid for the apple himself and gave it to the boy, who promised to not steal again. So we'll pick up that story in just a few minutes, but you know, you have the experience of, of, of a man doing good. It reminds me of Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to all people, especially to the household of faith. Let's go back to the old shoemaker to hear what happens. Martin returned to his shop and kept working. When night came, Martin put his tools away, disappointed that he had waited all day and his Savior had not come. As he lit the candle, however, a voice whispered to him, Martin, Martin, did you not recognize me? From the dim corner of his shop, the old soldier, the mother and her child, the boy and the old woman stepped into the light. It is I, they whispered. And then the old cobbler understood. He pulled out his well-worn scriptures and read these words. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. And then Martin knew his dream had been real after all, and the Savior truly had visited him that day. Hey, Rick, can we have him do all the voiceovers? <laughs> I would like that to be... He could read the phone book to me. <laughs> You know, that's the story of the giving of Jesus, you know, and, and it brings it back to the scriptures. Do these things unto the least of them, and you do it unto me. That is defining the family of man. That's defining the object of God's gift of Jesus. That's what we want to be focusing on for family. So the whole point of giving is to focus on those who are willing and privileged to give to. Uh, uh, Jonathan, Galatians chapter 6, let's go back to verses 2 to 5. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Okay. Bearing one another's burdens. Again, it's the idea of the giving of oneself for others. Okay, so Julie and Jonathan again. Jonathan, how do we see and respond to our family, our brotherhood, and our extended human family with the highest and most godly spirit of Christmas when most people are just not focused on that kind of thing? Jonathan? And showing kindness and letting our light shine. 
You know, we do this by knowing or studying them to see what their needs are and how we can be a help and blessing to them. If we don't truly know them, we will not know how to be a blessing. So you've got to know the person to be able to truly give to the person. And that doesn't that speak volumes to, to the character of God? He knows us as human beings and knows exactly what to give us, especially those of us who are trying to follow Jesus now. So, Julie, how do we respond to family, small and large, in a world that just doesn't seem to care? I found a really nice quote from Reader's Digest. Someone wrote in and said, When I was six years old or so, I received an orange from my great-grandmother. I didn't understand why someone had given me fruit for, Chris for Christmas until I learned many years later that this was my great-grandmother's favorite gift when she was a kid in the 1910s. It was her tradition and her way to remind us that small things could make us happy. And again, I think that, again, I want to look inward. And if we can simplify our lives by cutting down on our wants and trying to organize our time, it'll leave us with more time to be perceptive to the needs of others. You know, if we're crazy stressed out, we can't calm someone else down. And if we find nothing to be cheerful about, we're going to bring others down and we want to be a positive reflection of God and Jesus. So our hearts should be absorbed in the work of God. The better we are, the more use we could be. So we should be the most polite, the most generous, the most kind people in the world, because not even in a, just an outward sense, but we have those fruit of the spirit, supposedly, and they should be proceeding out of us. And, and again, the better we are, the more use we can be. And so by the better we are, you're also saying the less frenzied we allow ourselves to become in the, in the commercialized perspective. Let's get back to the true intention of the story of the birth of Jesus and see the incredible depth and value of the human family that Jesus gave his life for. And let's emulate that. So, Jonathan, the blessing... The blessings of family, what are they? God's own loyalty to his human family is revealed in Jesus. Let us apply this spirit of God's creation in our families by expressing our highest and most godly loyalty. Okay, let's put ourselves in a place, like Julie was just saying, to give the, put ourselves in that place where we are expressing the godliness of the recognition of the family, both immediate and otherwise, that's around us. It's such an important thing. Family is a vital part of God's plan for us. No wonder God calls us his children and Jesus calls us his brothers. Giving in love is the foundation of Christmas spirit and family is the object. What is the result? It's not Rick and Jonathan's style to talk about themselves, so I'm going to do it. Your Christian Questions random male voice guy. Let's play Did You Know? Both your hosts have full-time day jobs and put a ton of time into this podcast as volunteers. They're also both volunteer pastors in their church, and they're longtime husbands and dads. So safe to say they're pretty busy, but they love having weekly discussions with our listeners. So make sure to reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com with your questions or suggested topics. Now, let's take our discussion to the next level. So here is where the real lessons begin to come clear on the true spirit. The true intention of Christmas begins to sink in. Because God created us, created us as emotional beings, we have a strong capacity for learning and change when our hearts are engaged in what we do. Pure joy 
in an experience is a great teacher. And that's where we want to go next. And the idea, again, is there's this incredible capacity for learning if your heart is engaged in the process. And the true spirit of Christmas is expressed in joy. And joy is one of the results of Christmas giving. It really is. And joy is also easily misunderstood. Too often, we think that to be joyful, we need to be outwardly excited and even euphoric. This is not true. It's having true joy is much, much deeper than any emotional feeling. Joy is more of an internal gladness that's steady. It's not based on an outward reaction to an event that makes you happy. Rather, it's a response to a heartfelt understanding of what's happening. And there's a big difference between those two things. Joy feeds resolve and determination. See, happiness doesn't do that. Happiness is its own best friend. Joy, however, feeds these deeper things, resolve and determination. Joy contributes to our willingness to be transformed. And joy is one of the key factors in the true intention of us knowing the story of the birth of Jesus. So let's go back to that story, the true spirit of joy in the Christmas story. Back to Luke chapter 2, Jonathan, this time verses 8 to 12, and I'm going to stop you in the middle. In the same region, there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. Okay, so you have this incredible light and this incredible presence for these lowly shepherds, and their first reaction is fear, rightfully so. This is not expected, and this is bigger and more dramatic than anything you can ever see on any screen in any movie, okay? Because it's real, and it's this powerful presence from God. So they're afraid. What does the angel do? But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. So the angel immediately says, don't be afraid. I am bringing you good news. And it's not just good news that you're going to say, wow, that's really good news. He says it's good news of great joy. Why? Because it's for all the people. Then he talks about the birth of Jesus. This joy that would be for all people would be a life-changing internal gladness that those shepherds were being exposed to. You know, can you imagine, because when a new baby is born, you know, everyone coos and, oh, it's a miracle of life, and it's a wonderful, wonderful, joyful time. This is the dreams and the hopes of all the people before the the Israelites, this is what they were hoping for in each generation. They were waiting for the Messiah. And this was the time. Now it came to these people right here today. You know, can you imagine this wasn't just a baby? This was the Messiah. It had happened. And can you imagine these were just shepherds? They weren't the learned men. They didn't hold any high station, any high standard anywhere. They were, as a matter of fact, the lowly people, the ones mm. that nobody ever thought about. But and, at night, they were always looking up. Yes. 
Oh, that's good. They would have been the right ones to see that star. And they would have been the right ones with the, their, their, their humility to accept that message for exactly what it was. We're going to go to a, a soundbite. Just a, it, it's with kids uh, from Rethink Church. And the, the question being asked of these kids is, what is Christmas all about? And, of course, you're going to hear kids' answers. What do you think Christmas is all about? Um, the birth of Jesus. Christmas is about sharing and Jesus being born. Instead of getting presents and all, it's about the birth of Jesus. So it's really special. He was born and I love him when he was born. It feels like happiness, happiness is in the air. We get to learn about the Christmas story. I never get tired of hearing it. Why do you think baby Jesus is important? Jesus... When, when he was born, he was born to help the world. We wrapped a baby in the manger, and then we unwrapped him on his birthday. He's a real gift. The greatest gift of Christmas is that you're alive. You have a new life. He has given us his son, and he has made the world a better place. You know, one of the interesting things, I'm listening to that, and it just dawned on me at this point, God saw fit to obviously bring Jesus to the earth as his son, as, as an infant, you know, begotten within Mary and so forth. But the details of the story of his birth are the details of a story that children can see and grab hold of and enjoy and love. And maybe that's one of the reasons why we have so many details because the message of Jesus is not just for those who are philosophic and old, but it's for those who are very young and can understand the beauty of this story. You know, Christian Questions uh, has a wonderful video series for kids. And if you go to christianquestions.com slash YouTube and look for the CQ Kids video series, we have two videos I'd like to direct you to is what is the story of Jesus's birth? because it does exactly what you just said. And a new one just released, Who Are the Magi? And that talks about the gifts that uh, Jesus was presented with. What is the story of Jesus' birth and who were the Magi? So we have this story that is profound. And if you're an adult and you're looking at the context and the lessons and how it all fits together, you, you can find some real, real strength and inspiration from it. And if you're a child, you can relate to it. You can relate to the baby. You can relate to growing up. You can relate to those things. So it's a story for all of humanity, and it's a story of great and deep and powerful joy. So there was to be, a jo to be joy as a result of the birth of John the Baptist. So l l Because surrounding Jesus, surrounding the experience of his birth, there was a lot of joy that led up to it. First, the joy of the birth of John the Baptist. Again, we're not going into a lot of the details, but Luke chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, and then verse 17. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. 
So this angel, Gabriel, tells Zacharias, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And it's because Zacharias and Elizabeth were old, and they were beyond childbearing years and had never been able to have children. God blessed them. So joy and gladness, this deep sense of gratitude and life change, uh, and an understanding of life-changing events, put them in a wonderful place. There was also to be joy at the anticipation of the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, further down, in the same story of the talking of the birth of John, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 41 to 44. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Now you say, well, how did she know the baby leaped for joy? Well, she's a mom, okay? And she's connected, literally. And when you see that, you see, and again, she's also got God's spirit working with her. So the observation, I think we can take as very, very, very legitimate. The baby leaped for joy. Why? Because they were in the presence of Mary, who was carrying the Savior of the world. There is no greater cause for joy than that. All right, so Julie and Jonathan, how do we practically, let's get to practicality now. How do we practically exhibit the true joy of the Christmas message, the message of Jesus' birth, in a world to, that seems to have no room or tolerance for such joy? The world wants stuff, like you were saying before, Julie. How do we uh, exhibit this joy in that world? Well, you know, I've been giving joy a lot of thought this week, and I think our joy comes from knowing that this Christmas story for sure is true. God gave his only begotten son to mankind as a ransom for all. And in the Greek, that word ransom means a corresponding price to substitute for the perfect man, Adam. So Christmas isn't a day and it's beyond just being happy. You know, as you said before, joy is deeper than happy and it's more lasting. It's not dependent on outside circumstances. You know, I can't help but think of the story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas by Dr. Seuss. I love that when I was growing up. It was published in 1957. The Grinch was so tired of all the fake, loud excessiveness over Christmas coming from the townspeople that he took everything from the residents of Whoville, the toys, the trees, the candy, the Christmas dinner. I think he took the last crumb from the mouse. Yep. And so here's how it ends. It says, every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, were singing without any presents at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And you know, the real Grinch was Seuss himself, Theodore Geisel, who was 53 years old and fed up with Christmas. He was tired of the noise and the constant activity and the business end of the holiday, and he wished everyone would just get along. His desire was that people would celebrate the joy and peacefulness of Christmas without all the hoopla. He wrote this story to teach people a lesson, and the story ends with this shared community tradition. 
So it's not the hoopla. It's not all the anything. It's the joy, the Christian's joy, is from knowing that this story is true and it changed the world. You know, never heard the Grinch explained with such passion and power and joy. And I just, it's a good story. It, it is. And it just drives me to say, and he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. And that's how the story ends. All right, Julie, thank you for just giving that sense of let's get outside of it and find the real joy. Jonathan, your thoughts. Well, Rick, your sister, Joy, sent us an email this past week, and in her email, she was focusing on joy. She has been asking others, what brings you delight? And what are your greatest moments of joy? You know, I love this because it can open up a discussion with others and gives us an opportunity to share our joy in the Lord. And when it is done with sincerity and love, this may help them be tolerant to hear that Jesus came to save the whole world. You know, and, and it, that's a, a good way to look at it. Ask other people what their joy is. Because most people, while they don't really deeply think about it, if you ask them about their joy, not their happiness, but their joy, they're going to dig deeper and find something more powerful. So our joy can be found, folks, if we just give it the opportunity to be heard. And the way it's heard is by you living it, by having that sense about you that has a stronger uh, core value than, than the people around you, that can rise above the frenzy and just bask in the glory of the joy of the Lord. What a great, great thought and experience. Thank you both for uh, those, those experiences and giving, giving us a sense of you know, what joy really should look like. So, Jonathan, the blessings of joy at this point. God's plan provides joy for all people. Most do not yet have an idea what that means. We know. Let us take the joy given us through Christ and witness it with words and actions. You know, and, I, and I've said this before, but my Uncle Steve, who was a devout Christian, used to say often, he used to say, preach the gospel. Use, use words if necessary. Let the joy of the Lord show through your life. So when we sing joy to the world, we can really mean it. Most importantly, this joy must begin with me. With true joy welling up within our hearts, what is the next result of Christmas giving we receive? Do you feel disconnected at your local church? Are you struggling to find a good church or a pastor you like in your local area? We hope you're finding our podcast helpful as you take the next steps in your Christian walk. We're not here to replace the brick-and-mortar ministry, but Christian questions can be considered as the new way to think about church because we're cutting through all the online commentary noise with a deep dive into traditional scriptures and how they apply in today's seemingly untraditional world. Thanks for listening at ChristianQuestions.com, through our app, and your favorite podcast channels. Keep your great comments coming. We always welcome your feedback. Now, back to Rick and Jonathan as we go deeper in our discussion. The picture we've painted thus far shows us that the true spirit, the true intention of Christmas, is built around giving. This giving is focused on our immediate families and our whole human family, and inevitably brings joy when it's recognized. The next result of this giving is peace, peace for all. So that's where we're going next. 
And boy, that's what everybody really wants most. And the true spirit of Christmas is expressed in peace. And this means the peace of God that comes as a result of the gift of Jesus. So that's what we want to, again, draw from the actual account of the birth of Jesus. Because what is the true spirit of Christmas? Let's look at the account of the birth of Jesus and find what it's teaching us. As Christians, we have access to the peace that passes all understanding through Jesus. And while this is a priceless kind of peace, it's also a very individual peace. The peace that comes from the true spirit of Christmas from the account of the birth of Jesus is broader than that and will eventually be permanent for all. That's the peace that we can draw from the, the Christmas, from the, the, the account of the birth of Jesus. So Jonathan, let's go back to Luke 2, 13 and 14, the true spirit of peace in the Christmas story. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. You know, there's a lot of aspects here. And, uh, you know, now look, we've got praising and glory to God and all of that. We're just picking the peace out of this just to keep it very simple as we move forward. But when you think about it, and on earth peace, goodwill to men, if you asked a hundred people, random people on the street, what is the one thing they would just really like to have? Most of them are going to say something like, boy, I just wish the, everybody could get along. Kind of like Dr. Seuss. I wish there could be peace on earth. It sounds trite at this point. Oh, peace on earth. Yeah, but what if? What if that's part of the story of Jesus? Well, Eureka, it is. And that's what we're looking at here. So let's go... You know, one of the one of the most classic Christmas carols is the the, the song "Silent Night." Um, most of us don't really know the history of that, so we're going to rely on our good friends, the Skit Guys, to tell us the history of "Silent Night," and we're going to do this in in two pieces. High in the Austrian Alps, in the cold and snowy village of Mariafar. A young priest named Joseph Moore had been assigned to the parish. But he walked the streets with a heavy heart. Napoleon's war had wreaked havoc across Europe. Moore had witnessed firsthand the depression of the economy and the suffering of the village where he had once resided. There was no doubt the young priest sought after God's stillness and peace. And it was here lost in the majestic view of the Towering Mountains, where he penned the lyrics that reached for hope from the holy night that changed the world forever. As tradition tells it, two years later, Moore was preparing for midnight mass when he discovered their faithful organ had played its last note. Desperate to find a song for his parishioners to sing on Christmas Eve, Moore grabbed the lyrics he had written two years before, left his church, and journeyed to the home of his friend, organist Franz Gruber. He showed Franz the words and asked him to compose a simple melody that could be accompanied by only a guitar. And so, 
on December 24, 1818, Moore's poetic expression of the birth of Jesus was sung by a humble congregation on a snowy, cold Christmas Eve, filling them with the hope of heavenly peace. So you get the beginnings of the story of how Silent Night became this 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 beautiful hymn that so many of us sing and, and that means so much to us and and really is an expression of the peace of God and the peace of God through Jesus first before it comes to the world first comes to those who follow in Jesus' footsteps. Uh, Jonathan John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let it be fearful. So Jesus tells his followers very specifically, I am giving you my peace. Now, again, we have that peace as Christians, and that's a wonderful thing. And that's the beginning of the peace of the world. It comes to those of us who follow after Christ first and will come to the rest later. Okay, we're going to get to the later in just a moment. Let's finish the story of the beginning of the hymn, Silent Night. Over the next century, Silent Night would spread across the world. And then, in 1914, those same lyrics, birthed in the aftermath of war, found their way back to the battlefield. On Christmas Eve, both English and German troops laid down their weapons and sang together about God's peace from deep in the trenches of the First World War. To this day, God pours out his gift of heavenly peace to all who will receive it. From high mountains to low battlefields, church choirs to families round the tree, we celebrate the very moment God transformed humanity by sending the greatest gift of all on that first silent and holy night. You know, when we think about it, that first silent and holy night, uh, again, it is the small beginnings of these massive, profound gifts. You know, we've seen, we've talked about joy, we've talked about family, we've talked about giving. The massive gift of peace to all comes in stages. And, and, and a great example of that is going to be looking at the story of, uh, of the prophet uh, Simeon. So that's where we're going to go next. Jesus' very presence on earth signaled a new beginning, which would bring a new peace. Simeon, the old prophet, revealed this when Jesus was just eight days old. Jonathan, let's go to Luke chapter 2, verses 27 to 32. And Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You know, this story of Simeon, it oftentimes brings me to tears because you see, think about this old man and he was, it was revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. We have no idea how many years he waited, how many children he might have looked at and said, is this the one, is this the one, is this the one? And now at this moment, he reacts and responds and he speaks prophetically 
And one of the things he says is, now your servant can die in peace. I am being given peace because I have seen your salvation for the world. Talk about a peace that transforms. So, Jonathan and Julie, how do we live the peace on earth promise, that promise that was given by the angels? How do we live that now when the world is anything but peaceful? Jonathan? Well, we live peace by developing the fruits of the Spirit, and Julie mentioned those earlier. And they are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we remember God's got this and trust him, we will have peace no matter how crazy this world becomes. Now remember, Isaiah 26.3 says, If we keep our mind on him, he will keep us in perfect peace. Okay, so there's the equation of making sure we're going in the right direction so we can be recipients of that peace which for, is for us now, but coming for the world later on. Julie, your thoughts. Let's start with what's happening. The world is not at peace because we live apart from God. Yeah. And sin separates us from him and prevents us from having the relationship with him that would enable the earth to experience this true peace. So one of Jesus's roles is to be the mediator between God and mankind, restoring that broken relationship that we have with God. But as footstep followers, we have the opportunity to participate in that amazing restoration in the kingdom. And this privilege should give us peace that this present evil world will be replaced with God's righteous government. And from a personal standpoint, our internal peace, I don't think should fluctuate based on the opinions of others or our circumstances or however many accomplishments we achieve. Our concern should be what God thinks of us and not anyone else. And that's really important in this day and age when we're talking about online bullying and social media. It's what God thinks of us, not anyone else. And I can't help but thinking of Philippians 4, 11 to 13, one of my favorite scriptures of the Apostle Paul, who says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation living in plenty or want. And I can do this, how? Through him who gives me strength. So Paul had peace because of his absolute belief in the resurrected Jesus. His life looked like an adventure movie with riots and prison and shipwrecks, but his internal peace never fluctuated. And boy, my prayer is that we can get to that point. You know, and, and, and you're right. We can have, so it, it's the, the, the external, you know, it's like the duck on, on the pond, and you say, boy, that duck is just serene, and underneath those legs are going 4,000 miles an hour, you know, paddling away, paddling away. But here, the thing is that God can give us the ability, the internal ability to be able to cope, and that's where the peace comes from. And it's not just the peace that is given to me as a Christian, but it's the promise that the peace that is given to us will go, like you said before, to the rest of the world. So when you have hope for the world, and that's what the scriptures give us, that produces a stronger peace that, that supersedes just making me feel good, making me feel better, because it's something that will eventually affect everyone. So let's go and take a, a finished look at the peace uh, that the true spirit of Christmas brings. So, that, you know, we've talked about we're now in the, in the development stages, if you will, 
a finished look. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Jonathan is a wonderful prophecy of what's to come, the peace of God in this world. They will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. So you get this sense, no hurting or destroying in God's holy mountain. The earth, now, you know, the earth is a pretty comprehensive statement, full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Give yourself a look at that, of the power of that statement, and that is the peace of God in action. It gives us a sense that this is just one of many, many prophecies that point forward. And how does this all happen? It's because of Jesus. That's how it all happens. So, Jonathan, the blessings of peace. The peace of God through Jesus can transform us now even when our world is in turmoil. This is but a preview of the fullness of his peace to come to all. Live his peace. That's really what we need to do is we need to live his peace. We need to be able to see it and focus on it and say, okay, this is the peace that I am going to walk with every day of my existence. Peace is such a lost quality. We really have to make sure we have it before we try and give it away to others. The spirit of Christmas provides joy and peace. What does having these attributes bring us to next? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. We have joy and peace as direct results of the giving we receive from both God our Father and His Son Jesus. The true spirit, the true intention of Christmas, now brings us to a point of wanting to give back. What could we possibly have to offer in return for such gifts? Well, we always have the gift of praise. The gift of praise. Boy, well, we've been talking about the true spirit of Christmas, and it is expressed in praise. While praise is always in order, there are times when it becomes a priority, and the miraculous gift of Jesus makes praise profoundly necessary. It's interesting. The gift of Jesus makes praise necessary. And a lot of times we don't think of praise as, well, it's something you have to do, but it becomes necessary because the gift is so big. It's so powerful. It's so life-changing. It's so unusual. It's so God-like that we cannot help but have praise become part of our response. That's what we want to grow to. So, as Christians, we're very aware of the role that praise plays in our daily lives. Just like with peace, praise is now localized and individual practice. That's kind of what it is. The praise that results from the gift of Jesus will ultimately cover not only all of this earth, but it will cover the heavens as well. And, you know, I found a quote by someone named William Thrasher, and he said this, Satan so hates the genuine praise of Christ that his fiery darts of discouragement are not effective against us 
when we respond in praise. So imagine that if we are, you know, we start to get discouraged and instead of letting it go, oh yeah, where is God? And wow, why me? And why am I in this position? Instead, we respond with praise for this overruling for our experience so that it is something that we can grow from. Satan falls apart. His weapons aren't effective against us. That's something we really need to keep in, in mind. That's profound. That, that That's one of those life-changing things. You say, okay, you want to be impervious to Satan's attacks? Then live in this attitude. Live with this joy. Live with this thanksgiving. Live with the with the acknowledgement of the great, great gifts here. So let's take a look at the true spirit of praise from the Christmas story. Well, how about that? Luke chapter 2, verses 15 to 20. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So let's think about this. The angels had spoken to the shepherds and once that episode is over, their response is, we got to go to Bethlehem. We got to go see what they just spoke about. So it says they came in a hurry and they found their way. Now, how did they find their way? They probably asked questions and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in that manger. And what happens? Verses 17 through 20. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as he had been told. You know, there's several things here, Jonathan. Remember, the shepherds are not people that the average citizen looks at and says, wow, there's a shepherd. Let's hear what he has to say. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And yet it says all who heard it wondered at the things which are told them by the shepherds, which means they were verbal. They were outspoken. They were saying, you have to hear this. This changes everything. They were in one accord. Yes. It came from all these mouths together saying, this really happened. We saw it. We were there. We saw the baby. We saw the angels. We heard them sing. And so it says the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen because it gave them this sense of the bigness of the presence of God because now Jesus was there, God's son. Jesus was there, this little tiny baby, and they saw God's will being unfolded. Julie? Wow. (laughs) Do we glorify and praise God for all we have heard and seen? That's a really big phrase. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it really is. It really is. So, Let's take a look at, Jonathan, were you? Yeah. Okay, um, go ahead. Talking about praise, just, just, just simply, if we are faithful in thought, word, and deed, this brings praise to God in our Christian walk. It's a sweet savor to him. So our faithfulness, our inward faithfulness and loyalty is a praise. It's it's showing praise to God because we are in harmony with His ways. So praise is not always the the outward singing and the joyfulness, 
but it's obedience. It's the yes. quiet obedience of heart, mind, and action. Those are ways we praise. So this is important to understand, and you see these shepherds living that on every level here. So let's go a little further, and we're going to take take a kind of a a side look at this. The true spirit of praise is now expressed for all of us in imperfect ways by imperfect people who have doubts. We're going to go to a dramatization, okay? What you're going to hear isn't scriptural necessarily, but it's a dramatization by our friends, the skit guys, of Mary talking to a young shepherd boy after Jesus' birth and after the shepherds have come and gone, and it shows this praise through imperfection. And, you know, so the scene in the video is Mary is there with the baby Jesus asleep, and there's this young boy, and he's a shepherd, and everybody else went to go speak, and the shepherd is just standing there. And throughout the whole video, he doesn't say a word. His eyes are wide, and he's just listening to Mary. And she's talking to him, again, this is a dramatization, uh, about what's happening and how she feels and how she's wondering because it's, it's so much so fast. It, it really is a, a fascinating look. Let's listen. It's okay. You can come in. He won't bite. He's just a small baby. A little shy? <laughs> That's okay. I am too. Your friends left in such a rush to go tell the world. I think that's how they put it. And what a thing to tell. Did you know an angel visited me too? It's true. And he said that my boy would be great. The son of God. He said that he would be the king of angels. The king of all. Do you think that they'll understand? Do you think that they'll come to worship him? Will they accept him? Let's just look around us. It's not exactly a palace, is it? Noisy animals. Hey, out of all things for a bed. And that stench for everything that he is. Maybe this isn't enough. So, you know, you get this sense of, I don't know what's happening. It's so big. And, and, and yet you have the greatest gift to mankind and it's in the most humble um, circumstance possible. You're in a feeding trough, laying this baby in this feeding trough, in a manger, in, 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 in a stable. It smells. And it's like, king of kings, here? Do you think they'll come? The sense of this is so much bigger than I can imagine. It just doesn't seem to fit. But the key is, it's God's gift, and it's God's way. And we know that the worthiness of Jesus is paramount here. And it's so fitting that the shepherds came because he would assume the throne of David, who was once a shepherd himself. So let's look at a scripture that focuses on the worthiness 
of Jesus, the praiseworthiness of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father our God. So, you know, you've got this scripture that talks about Jesus emptying himself twice. And, and you know, part of praise is being willing to access awe. It's being willing to find the awe of God's plans and purposes and saying, that's beyond me. And this is one of those scriptures that does that for me. I, I get choked up when I think about this. Jesus had his position right next to God himself, and he emptied himself, completely emptied himself of that position and became a man, a perfect man, but just a man, a tiny man on a tiny planet nevertheless. And then he emptied himself of that to suffer not just death, but death on a cross, torture and and torment and humiliation. Why? So that humanity could have an opportunity at life. That is awe-inspiring to me. That changes the way I look at life because the gift is so powerful. It's so potent in what he did. You can't help but be in a position of just wanting to praise him. And like Jonathan said earlier, through obedience, through our thoughts and through our actions, so that everything we do is looking up to God and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's go back to Mary and just finish up her thinking, her, this dramatization about her, her thoughts and, and doubts and, and, and what was happening. I find myself just watching him. Adoring him. I thought I knew what love was. Until he came along. My mother gave this blanket to me when I was just a little girl. A gift of love. I wore it out. When we were preparing for the trip to Bethlehem, I told Joseph I wanted to bring it. No, he said. We must pack light. I brought it anyway. Baby needs a blanket. Yes, they will come. The faithful. How could they not? He was born the king of angels. He will be great and mighty. He is all this and more. But when you go tell my young Be sure, be sure to tell them that he is an incredible gift of love. That incredible gift of love is worthy 
of praise on every level and in every way and in every part of our lives. So let's begin to wrap this up. Um, the results of Jesus' worthiness. You know, we looked at the sacrifice, we looked at his birth, and, and we just touched on some very, very, very small things to help put Christmas into the spirit of the birth of Jesus. Because that's really what we're talking about. Christmas, no, the spirit of the birth of Jesus. That's what we're focusing on. Let's look at the results of the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus uh, in Isaiah 35, 8 through 10. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast go up thereon. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. The ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Rick, I've got a new phrase for praise. Okay. Praise more, worry less. You know, it it, it puts life in perspective. And when we see these things that we talked about today with this podcast, attempting to bring Christmas back to the birth of Jesus, that's really kind of the bottom line. Praise more, worry less. Jonathan, let's wrap this up, the blessings of, of peace and the blessings of praise. Praise, true and intentional praise, has a way of keeping life in perspective. We are blessed with the gift of Jesus to the whole human family, which brings joy, produces peace, and fills our hearts with praise. This is the true spirit of Christmas. So this, my friends, is what Christmas really is all about. Julie, any final comments as we close? Well, the Bible doesn't require that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but you know, it seems appropriate because in its proper context, it can put us in the right frame of mind to focus on heavenly things. And what I learned today is that we can't read the story as an academic exercise. We need to delight in the story that gives us a glimpse into God's supreme love for his creation and that he would give his only begotten son to repair that relationship between God and man. It's awe-inspiring. Delight in the story. Jonathan and Julie, thanks so much for your participation here. This is such an important thing. You know, the story of the birth of Jesus, we think it's so simple. Yes, and it is. But it is one of the most profound beginnings you will see anywhere at any time in all of human history. Don't make light of it. Don't let the lights and the decorations and the gifts and the food and the fun and all of that. That's all nice. That's all wonderful. But don't let those things override the life-changing results of the birth of that little baby 2,000 years ago who would grow up to become the man who would bear the sins of Adam and willingly give his life so that you and I and every other human being could live again. That, my friends, is the meaning of Christmas. For Jonathan, Rick, and Julie, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. Understand and absorb the true meaning. Think about it. 
Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite channel is. Rate us and review us. Next week, should my habits be kept or broken? Talk to you then.